So look with me. James chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 21. It says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness, I'm in the New King James Version, by the way, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22 says this, But be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, the same concept as abide, right, which is the key to Christian maturity, abiding in Christ, doing the things you know you ought to do, not just once, but over and over and faithfully doing it. It said it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. I'm going to stop right there because this is the foundation that's going to lead into the, the focus of our text. And then the verse 21 there, it talks about laying aside all filthiness. The, the ancient world, this Greek word here, when it says lay aside this phrase, it literally means to take off, to take off a garment or to take one's clothes off. And the idea is that you're taking filthiness out. You're getting stuff that doesn't need to be there, that hurts you. You're getting that out rather than covering up. Are you tracking with me? Because for some who may be watching by Facebook or in this room, that may be the most important thing you hear all day long. Listen closely. What you cover up, God will uncover. And what you uncover, God will cover. Are you with me this morning, church? What you try to cover up in our life, God's going to uncover. But what you will, if you will just go ahead and uncover, if you will lay aside filthiness, what you, if you'll uncover it, Jesus says, I will cover that. He has done everything that is needed to cover your sin. And listen, I talked to a guy not too long ago, just trying to share the gospel, trying to have a conversational um, evangelistic moment with him. And his response to me was, God could never forgive what I've done. Listen closely. If your heart is that you want to be forgiven, there is not a depth of depravity, there is not a level of sin you can get to that God can't redeem. I want you to hear me this morning. That is our God. He didn't just come to save the, the good people, those who, who seem to be doing everything right. He came to save everybody. And it is that name of Jesus that must be confessed if you want to have a relationship with God if you want at the end of your days to close your eyes on this world and, w- and wake up one day and you're in heaven. It is that same name. So that verse 21 is very important. You've got to lay aside that filthiness. Now this is the key verse. I want you to check here with me. It says to receive with meekness. Now this Greek word is humility, right? So why are we receiving it with humility? It's because when I, as a sinful person, compare myself with the Word of God, what it tells me and shows me is all the filth that really is there. Because see, that's the, that is the standard. That's the plumb line. And when I compare who I am with the beauty and the perfection of the Word of God, it shows me everything that's wrong. So when I'm approaching the Word of God, I approach that with humility. 
because I know where I am in my relationship with God. So you approach it with humility, and then it says this. You approach it with meekness, the implanted Word of God. Listen, folks, that Word of God that you are studying, that you are reading, when that makes its way into you, you've got to allow that to make its way out of you. You see, you're hearing it. And it's like last week we talked about these bobblehead Christians that are bouncing around with all the head knowledge and all the historical data of the Scriptures, but then we don't act or react in a way that people say, man, that is different. That's where the Word of God makes a difference in our lives. You see, this is the overflow of, of the implanted Word of God. And where I want to go with this, when we talk about being a doer of the Word, is this. If you grow in information, but you never experience transformation, you'll miss the joy of multiplication. Listen, the outgrowth of every mature, growing believer should be this. The multiplication of the gospel seed that was shared with you. If it dies in your care, shame on you. Your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors should know who you are. Not in a judgmental way that you pound them on the head with the Bible that said, you're a sinner, you're not worthy. That's not what the Bible's trying to do. It's trying to show them that the God of all creation loves them. And that's our responsibility as a maturing believer in Jesus Christ is to give them the love of Jesus. And then you let the Word of God convict them. That's not our job. It's to convict them and to show them that they're a sinful person. You give them the Word, the implanted Word of God, and to let it manifest and grow and change and transform. God's Word says this, Hebrews 4.12. God's Word discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. God's very Word is necessary for life. Matthew, uh, Psalm 119.105 says, The lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John 1.1 says, The Word was before creation, is responsible for creation, and that Jesus is the Word of God. Matthew 24, 35 says that God's word is eternal. It'll never pass away. Luke eleven twenty eight says that those who hear it and obey it will be what? Blessed. You see, there's a path that God has laid before us, and it is to obey, not just to intake, but to obey and to do something with what we have heard. And I want you to remember this because God is calling each of us to obedience. And the call to obedience is stressful, but it's worth it. And the pain of disobedience can last for eternity. Here's what I mean. I got here about three years ago, and I had a childhood friend that lives in Atlanta. He messaged me when I, shortly after I got here, and he said, Hey, Scott, I saw that you're in Atlanta. Man, I live in Atlanta. We reconnected. He told me that he had been diagnosed with cancer. And he said, Man, it's not good, but I'm battling, man. I'm going to beat this. So we, I had been praying with him. We checked on him. He see, sent me a message end of April. He said, uh, the doctors had just told me that I'm dying and that there's nothing else that they can do for me. So I call, immediately called him on the phone, and I'm going to call him the name Jackson. Um, and I said, Jackson, how's your family? How's your wife? How are your two kids? He said, man, they're struggling with it like I am. I said, the most immediate question that comes to my mind is this. I know that you grew up in church. I remember a moment when you gave your life to Jesus and you were baptized into the church. But I also know for 30 plus years, you've not been in church. Your wife's not been in church. 
and you didn't raise your two kids in church. I said, Jackson, are you sure that when you close your eyes here and you wake up in eternity that it'll be with Jesus and not in hell? And he just paused and he said, Scott, I'm not sure, but I am going to think on that. And that was the end of the conversation. I got a text, May 5th, 8.36 p.m. And it says this, and I quote, I confess my love for Jesus Christ as God and Savior. Man, my heart was just exploding. The joy, you know, of what was happening. So I called him. I said, Jackson, man, you gave your life to Jesus. You know for sure. And he said, man, without a doubt. I said, well, here's the next step for you. Don't you leave your wife and your two kids to wonder where you're spending eternity. I said, man, you haven't raised them in the church, which tells me that there's a better than average chance that they're not believers. So if, you're, if this decision was real, you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. And if what I know about the Bible is true, your kids and your wife aren't. You've got to let them know before your time comes. And there was silence on the phone. We ended the conversation, went on. That was 8.36 p.m. And he never woke up. The next morning, he died that night. And he had a funeral. With a wife and two kids who don't know Jesus. And if what we know about the Scripture is true, listen to me, folks, the disobedience... The pain of disobedience can last not just a lifetime, but for eternity. If you love your kids and you love your grandkids, if you say that you're a good neighbor, you've got to tell them about Jesus. You've got to give them the gospel. It's not your job to save them. It's not your job to convict them, but it is your job to give them the gospel and give them an opportunity to be saved. So what I want to do with the rest of my time is simply this. It's just to give you from, from, from verses 26 to 29. That's where we're going to jump in here. It's three signs that you are a doer of the Word. And I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to, to ask to examine all of our hearts and our lives. And if there's something you need to take a step forward, the next step in your walk with the Lord, the next step in your obedience with Christ, that before you leave today, that you will have committed to do that. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless, without value, without merit. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, that to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted by the world. You see, the first of these signs that you're a doer, is that your conversations are loving. Verse 26 says it. But if you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, it's useless. You're, you're, you're deceiving yourself. Because if you say that you're a believer, and you don't bridle your tongue, the world knows who you are by the way you live and how you speak, and what you speak. So our conversations must be loving. But here's the deal. Talk is cheap when it's not backed up with a plan. You can say all that you want to do, but if you don't have a plan to follow through with what you say you believe, talk is cheap. Matter of fact, did you know that people don't naturally walk in a straight line? 
If I were to go grab Pastor Ted and I drop him in, in the middle of the Sahara Desert and I say, Ted, I need you to find your way out of here. If he doesn't have a mark of, of where he is walking to and a plan that he's going to follow that mark, no matter what's going on around me, I'm going to follow that mark because that mark is going to get me out of the wilderness. That's what's going to save me. If he doesn't have that mark, Ted will walk in circles because of what we call leg length disorder. It's crazy. It's a proven scientific fact that we all have one leg that's longer than the other. So over a long throw period of space, you're going to naturally walk in circles. You're going to, what's the children of Israel? You're going to wander. What did they do? They took their eyes off the mark and they wandered. Over and over, Jack Sparrow wandering, not knowing what's going to happen to them for 40 years because they took their eye off the mark, right? That's who we are. Our conversations have to be loving. And, it, and that our conversations, our talk can have such value. But what we know is that talk is cheap unless you have a plan to follow through on what you're saying. But here's the other side. Your speech, your talk can bring hope when it's backed up with action. You see, when I came to, to Georgia three years ago, I didn't want to be here. I didn't choose to come to Georgia. Y'all know I've shared my story with you before that I was in the middle, literally built my forever home on 16 acres, part of a 128-acre family track that butts up to 4,000 acres of federal land. My brother-in-law is in the back, back here. He's hunted ducks a ton with me back there knows the beauty and the, just the, the unbelievable, absolute sportsman's paradise. And the day that I was supposed to move in that house is the day I moved to Georgia. So we never actually lived in the house that we spent two years building. Why would you do that, right? Well, what I shared with you is this, because I didn't have the choice. I have relinquished control of my life, and my plan is not determined by whether or not I'm going to stay in a house. What a terrible way to live. It's to follow the Lord. And I'm going to tell you this. I've never seen the miraculous, the beautiful and the powerful like what I've seen since I moved to Georgia. But I am convinced without a doubt I would have never seen it or experienced it had I not relinquished control of all that I felt was important and said, God, I'll go anywhere you ask me to go and do anything you ask me to do. Why? Because talk can bring hope when it's backed up with action. Well, one of the things with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board that I was so excited about it's called Mission Georgia. Anybody ever heard of Mission Georgia? And I see my friend Roger back here in the left. He's our, our editor of the Christian Index. He knows what Mission Georgia is. Mission Georgia simply is this. There are five major initiatives in the first one. And what this does is this gave me an action plan of things that were important to me, but I didn't know how to fight them. Human trafficking. Many of you in this room would hear that and you say, yeah, yeah, that happens in the sleazy hotels downtown in Atlanta. Friends, it's in your neighborhood. It's in five and six and $800,000 houses. It is happening in Gwinnett County. It's no longer in these places where you can say, oh, I don't have to deal with that. You do have to deal with it because they're probably living next door to you. And for me, I'm not okay with that. The average age of human trafficking is 11 years old. But I don't know how to do anything. I don't have a mechanism in place to fight that. But the Georgia Baptist Mission Board does. And did you know that you, as Ivory Creek Baptist Church, is one of the main 
beautiful givers to the cooperative program. And when you give to the cooperative program, you are undergirding the work of giving the gospel to every person in every neighborhood in Georgia and these five major emphases. You're helping us fight this. The second of those initiatives is called childhood illiteracy. Now, you may do like I did when I first read that. I'm like, every kid ought to know how to read. I mean, I've got a master's. I've got a doctorate. I know how valuable that is. But I'm not sure why that'd be top five initiatives for us until I looked at the underbelly of what's happening in Georgia and across the nation. Did you know that the federal government tracks the number of third graders who can't read by the fourth grade and they determine the number of prisons to be built in the future based on the number of third graders who can't read by the fourth grade because they have drawn a line. This, this ain't the church. This isn't Georgia Baptist Mission Board. This is the federal government has figured it out. They have drawn a line between those children who can't read by the fourth grade and the number of adults who will spend their adult life in prison. A direct correlation. And I'm not okay with that. That a kid could live in Georgia and not be able to read, knowing that the majority of those children were going to house them in a penitentiary for all of their adult life. What did we talk about beginning in the verse before that? A useless existence is what they end up being. Listen, our conversations have to be loving, but when it's backed up with a plan, then there's feet to what you say is important. Verse 27, look at verse 27 with me. It says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, this idea of visiting orphans, this isn't what we would normally think of as a visit, where we go by and we see them on Thanksgiving and we spend an hour with them and we check the box that says, oh, how, how beautiful are these kids? Oh, they're so wonderful. And we bring them a gift, we check the box and we've done our part. That's not what visiting orphans means. The Greek word means that you invest your life in them. It means that you're doing something over and over that makes a difference in that widow's life or in that orphan's life. It's not a one-time moment. Did you know if the church operated the way we should, we would need orphanages? It is the responsibility of the church to come alongside orphans. And listen, this is a personal issue for me. There's a young girl named Erica. I met her when she was 16. We adopted her when she was 17. She nursed her dad, who was a Vietnam pilot, had her later in his life. She, he died when she was 10. She was left with a mom that was a prescription med addict. She got emancipated from her mom. Well, if your dad's dead and your mom's a prescription med addict and you get emancipated, you don't have anything left. So we took her in at 17. She was abused when she was 12 because nobody was looking out for her. An 18-year-old guy took advantage of her one night because she had no one protecting her. My wife and I are not okay with that. When we heard the story, our heart was drawn to Erica, and we took her in, and she became part of our family. You know where Erica is today? She graduated 5A high school in Louisiana, top of her class. She graduated Baylor University with a neuroscience degree. She just graduated with her master's a year ago, May, with a missions degree. On a Saturday, the following Saturday, she gets married. 
to a guy that is the guy we've been praying for. Loves Jesus, loves her, and is taking care of her. And now she's getting a PA degree. She's got more degrees than a thermometer. <laughs> but listen to me. Erica shouldn't be here. She should be a statistic of the culture with which she had no control over. But when you give to the cooperative program, it allows us to fight. It's this underbelly of your convention. It's the strength of who we are as Southern Baptists. And the giving to that, and the Mission Georgia project where people are giving money, and they're not just giving money, but they're doing things. We're partnering. I've got a, a friend named Kenneth Acock who, who partners with Family for Families, and they're helping people foster and, and to adopt. Did you know that with the latest Supreme Court ruling, there is going to be an exponential need for fostering and adoption in our world? And I just did an interview. Anybody know the Kendrick brothers? with the movies that are being created, create, courageous, um, all of the fireproof, all of those things. I just interviewed those guys for the Spark Conference, which I'm the director of. It's the largest total church strengthening conference in the nation now. And there's five locations in Georgia. One's going to be right up the road from you. So I'm interviewing them for, this, for the Spark Conference, man. And I said, what's your latest project? You know what it is? 2019, God had led them to start a movie project of a real-life story of a boy who gets adopted. And it tells the story, right? It comes out in September. And they had no idea of what the Supreme Court ruling would be. And in God's providence, He is dropping this movie in the middle of that culture when the greatest need that there's ever been for fostering and adoption. That's the God we serve. He's putting a plan with the need, and now it's time for the church to take action and do something about it. Well, the first thing is that your compassion has to be loving, or your conversations have to be loving. The second one is your compassion must be limitless, and that fostering and adoption is one. Here's another. It's the fourth layer of our mission, Georgia, pre- and postnatal care. There are people, there are ladies all across Georgia. Can you imagine the world that we live in that there would be ladies who can't get adequate health care and they're dying and their children are dying because they simply can't, nothing more, that they're not getting adequate health care. We're not okay with that. So we're fighting for that. And the fifth one is refugees and internationals. That's the fifth layer of that Mission Georgia project. It is one of the main region, reasons that I was willing to leave an entire life and move to Georgia because I want to be a part of something that makes a difference that when my life is over, that my kids and my grandkids will know not just what I talked about, but that I implemented my life in areas and they can say, yes, my granddad or my dad believed that fostering and adoption, that, that reaching out to internationals and refugees. And listen, I don't even care where you stand on refugees and internationals. This isn't an issue of whether they should be here. The issue is they're already here. God's given us a mandate to reach the nations. And listen, they're coming. God's bringing the nations to us. They're living next door. So we got to give the gospel to every person in every neighborhood in Georgia. And this initiative is doing it. And by the way, 79% of the refugees who are coming to America are Christian. They are fleeing 
the persecution. Look at verse 27. This is my last main point. When it says in verse 27 that you'd keep oneself unspotted from the world, the third sign that you are a doer of the word is that your character would be life-giving. You see, we got to translate what we know into what we do. And do you have a plan to read the Word of God and then do something about it? You see, I realized this morning that some of you who are watching by Facebook or maybe in this room would have that argument that God could never love me because of what I've went through or maybe what I've done. The truth is that He can and He does because the gospel is for everyone. And what we have to understand is that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that, that live out in the middle of nowhere or you live in the, a densely populated county like Gwinnett is that God wants all people to know Him, to be in a saving relationship with Him. And He has given that responsibility to us. And if we're going to be people of character, then we got to do what we know. And that's how they're going to respond. You see, Jesus has done everything that, that we need so that we can be accepted. And we'll leave you with this thought. Some of you will remember, and this is a little closer for you than others, June 6, 1944, beaches of Normandy, the largest amphibious invasion in history. There's a story told of a, a company of American soldiers. One of their compadres gets killed in the war. They go into town. They carry his body in. They find a little church, knock on the door. The priest comes to the door, and he tells the priest what's happened, and, and they want to give their friend a respectable burial. And he said, can we bury our friend in your graveyard? And the priest says, well, is he part of the Holy Roman Catholic Church? He says, no, he's not. He's Protestant. But he's here, and he's been fighting for you. And so the priest tells him, well, I can't bury him inside the fence, but if you'll bury him outside the fence, you have my word. I will care for his grave. They were good with that. They go out. They bury him just outside the fence. They go back to fighting. Several months later, they're leaving to go home. They decide they're going to go back by and pay their respects to their friend. They walk up, they see the graveyard, they, they look just outside the fence where they thought they had buried him, and they don't see the marker anywhere. And they're just thinking, oh my word, did the priest move the grave? Did he not take care of it like he said he was going to do? So they go back, they knock on the door, the priest comes to the door, and they say, listen, we were here earlier, we fought for you, our friend gave his life so that you could be liberated, so that you could have freedom. And we came back to say our respects. We look on the outside of the fence, and we don't see anything. What did you do? Move the grave? The priest said, I didn't move the grave. I moved the fence to include the grave. Listen. That's what Jesus did. I am an example of a guy who doesn't deserve the grace of God. Places I've been, the things that I've done, people I've hurt, but he moved the fence for me. Church, it's our responsibility to be doers of the word. And if you don't, you are imprisoning people inside 
of a, of a fence that they can't get out of when Jesus has moved the marker. Stand with me if you will. I'm going to ask you to stand and just close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to enter into what we call a time of invitation. If you're watching by Facebook or maybe in this room and you don't know what an invitation is, it's simply this. It's simply a time that we have at the end of a service where we give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Because He has moved the fence. He's done everything that we need so that we can be people of God. But here's my question for you. Has there ever been a moment that you trusted, like Jackson, has there ever been a moment when you trusted Jesus as Savior? If there's not, if you're in this room, I'm going to ask you to come down and talk to Pastor Ted or Pastor Dave. If you're watching by Facebook, I want you to put a comment or contact the church office because that's the most important decision. Same thing I told Jackson. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Maybe this morning. You have made that decision. So your most important decision isn't salvation. Because God tells us He's never going to let, once you are in the hand of God, He will never let you go. John chapter 10. Maybe your decision commitment, like mine, is this. I need to commit afresh, afresh to give the gospel to people. That I need to do what I know. Maybe that's where you are. And you can bow right at your seat. Or you can come to this altar and pray up here. But whatever it is God's leading you to do, I want you to to do it this morning. And don't hesitate. Or if you have questions, come see Dave and Ted up front here. Let me pray. And as soon as I say amen, you move. You make your decision. Father, we love you. Thank you for all that you have done to prepare the way so that we can have a relationship with you. And God, for all of those in this room, who have a relationship with you, but we need to take a next step of obedience to do what we know. May we have the courage to move, to choose, and to make you that mark that we are running toward so that we no longer wander. In Jesus' name I pray.